All right. Well, let's come back together now. As John said, we're continuing on our question series. And, you know, sometimes when you have questions that are difficult to answer, we want to just throw up our hands because, you know, we, we think they're, they're not answerable. So um, one of those questions I think is, and I would ask John Grabiel, our worship director, this, why are the Chicago Cubs so bad year after year? Are some of you Cubs fans out there? Okay, I see a lot of hands. But I like to give John a hard time because he sees me in the office every week and we talk baseball and he's a huge Cubs fan. But, you know, will they ever win the World Series? Another, another um, great question. But some questions have a lot of mystery in them. And I think today's question has a lot of mystery in it. But I think we can have some answers when we ask the question, if God is in control, do I really have free will? And, you know, when we look at that question, we need to think about what that means. You know, we know that God is sovereign, that God has authority. He has authority over everything, over all of creations. We believe that God is all-knowing, knows everything. He's all-loving and all-powerful. But we still ask, do we believe that humans have free will then to choose a relationship with God? And do we have free will to make our own choices uh, day by day. Well, let's take a look at some of what God says about that. And there's lots of places about this that talk about this in the scripture. But let's look at Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 22 through 32. It's up on the screens. Also, if you have your Bible or one of the Bibles in front of you, um, we can do that. It's kind of a long passage <clears throat> from Paul here in Romans. And then we'll look over to Romans 10 as well. Romans 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 32. This is God's word. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of this Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Great passage and encouraging in so many ways. Another passage, if you look forward, probably two pages. I know it's two pages in my Bible at Romans 10, uh, verses 8 through 10. Paul also says this. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Let's pray together. Most loving God, open our minds right now. Um, Lord, as we have read your scripture to understand it, to interpret it well, and then God, to apply it to our lives so that it wouldn't be something stagnant, but it would be something real and relevant to each of our lives even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are some notes again in uh, your bulletin about these passages in Romans 8 this week, and uh, some of those will be up here on the screen as well as part of the message, so if you want to follow along with those. Um, First, we can ask, what is our hope wrapped up in? You know, as we're talking about questions, here's another question. What is our hope wrapped up in? Well, Paul says several things. He says, all creation groans for rescue. He uses the word redemption, but I like rescue. God's spirit helps us and that God works for good. For who? For those who love him and are called to him. And as we read this passage in Romans 8, it says that all of creation is groaning for redemption. And I think this is a great image. You know, that all of creation, all of God's creation, realizes that things aren't right and we want something better um, in our world. We want to be rescued. We want redemption. Paul says that we are to be adopted as sons and daughters of the king with the life of hope that he gives us. Well, we want our lives to be redeemed, to have meaning, right? That's what we want. We want to have that hope and that purpose in in that redemption. We also see here that when things don't go right, when there is some mystery in life and we have tough questions, we see that God's spirit helps us. Even says he helps us in our weakness. He helps us even to pray and to understand God. And then we get to this famous verse, which we just read in Romans 8, 28. It says that God works things for good. Does he say that God works everything for good for everyone? No, he does not. It says God uh, does not promise that everything will be all right, but that God will work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There's a pastor named Brian Wilkerson who wrote on this, and this is what he said about that very specific verse, Romans 8, 28. He says, it does not say everything that happens is good. It doesn't even say that all things work together for good. No, it says that God works in all things good and bad, to accomplish his purpose. He works. It's the image of the strong hand of a potter taking a piece of clay that looks like nothing and working it over with skill and strength to fashion it into something beautiful. God works in all the events of our lives to accomplish his eternal purpose. Uh, Jim Martin, one of our elders, was here a couple of weeks ago and he talked on this topic of how does God meet us when things are going wrong in life? You know, why, does, why do bad things happen? Why does suffering happen? And Jim shared that God can bring great meaning out of sadness, that he can redeem us and rescue us when things are the worst, and that it's at the time of crisis that we often see God the most. Tim Keller is a writer and a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He says this about this passage. Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become like him. 
that you'll become like him. Which leads us to another question, the question really for the day. If God is in control, do we really have free will? And we could say, what is it about this predestination thing? It's a really big churchy word, but it's in there. It's in Romans, it's in Ephesians, it's in other places in Scripture. When we ask questions, uh, I think, you know, complicated questions about theology or about Scripture, questions that we think are hard to answer, I think it's first good to start with God. And when we think about predestination, we see that God pursues a love relationship with us. He loves us. And God loves his creation. He wants to redeem us. And he desires us to know him. And yet here's where some of that predestination and free will comes in. Because we read many times over again, on our own, we cannot come to God. In Romans 3, it says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Paul's talking about that. On our own power, no one seeks God. In John 6, verse 44, Jesus says this, No one... No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. People can't get to God on their own, and it's God the Father who draws people to him. God pursues us. He draws us to him, and he even convicts us, which is a good thing, with his Holy Spirit, that we need him, that we need him so that we can be forgiven and then turn to him. Well, let's look at some of the notes uh, that I borrowed from a guy, a Bible commentator named James R. Edwards. When we say, what about this predestination thing? How do we understand this? And, you know, Paul uses a lot of big words in this short passage here. What about this predestination thing? In the past, we see that God foreknew that God's eternal purpose was set long ago, that we were predestined, what does it say we were predestined to? To be conformed, to be like Jesus. In the present, we are called, we are called, what are we called to? We're called to follow Christ very specifically. And we are justified. So if you ever hear the term justification, another big church word, it means God declares us not guilty of our sin. He justifies us. And in the future, we are glorified to become like Christ in the next life. So we see that God's purpose was set from creation. He foreknew it. God knows the future. In the song we saw a minute ago, it talked about the mystery, but God knows the future. To us, it's a mystery, but God knows, and God has always known, God foreknew the future. And God calls certain people to him out of his goodwill. We read in other places, we read a minute ago, that no one can come to God on our own. We also read that we were dead to sin, but that God chooses to regenerate us. He chooses really to like restart our hearts. You know, there's places in the Old Testament, a couple, I think in the New Testament as well, it says that we have hearts of stone, but that God chooses to regenerate or restart our hearts to give us new hearts. That's his choice as sovereign God. That's his action. But why does he only choose to do it for some? And here's where I think in my research this week that I don't think we have a good answer. And as I read some other scholars and some theologians, this is where a God and his sovereignty chooses to rescue some. We are all lost, but in his grace, 
God chooses to save us. It says in Ephesians 1, another passage about predestination, it says, in his love, God predestined us to be adopted to him. And we can trust in God's character, who he is, that he is loving and caring, but we don't understand everything that is out there and why he chooses some. It is our role then to trust him. And then now, once we know that we are called to him, to make choices to follow him. Some might say that uh, once God calls us, that we have no choice at all, that we have no free will, we have no choice, but we're forced to follow him. But many places in Romans and other places in the New Testament say that we certainly have a part to play, that we certainly do have choices to play in, uh, in following him. In the present then, God calls us to be transformed and conformed to Christ's likeness. We were predestined, it says, to be like Christ. And that's what's even happening in this room today. You know, when we pray together and we study the word together, we're actively becoming more like Christ. So we are justified, we are declared not guilty of our sin, and we will be glorified in the future. Here's what um, Tim Keller, again from uh, New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, he says this about this passage. God is working everything that happens in your life toward that magnificent goal. It's predestined. It's guaranteed. One of the most astounding things in Romans 8.30 is this. It says, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Tim Keller says, glorified is in the past tense because the Apostle Paul is so absolutely certain that God is going to make you as beautiful as Jesus He writes of the glorification as an accomplished fact. Paul talks about it in the past tense because it's as good as done. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. In the song that we heard during the offering, which is called uh, Already There by the contemporary group Casting Crowns, some of the lyrics say this. When I'm lost in the mystery, you know, the mystery of this life, to you, to God, To you, my future is a memory because you're already there, standing at the end of my life, waiting on the other side. So despite some of the mystery that we have in this life, not knowing what's in our future, not knowing why God God does some of what God does, we believe that God is there, we can trust him, and that God's plan is good for us. Um, And I know these concepts get complicated and get hard to understand and there still is some mystery involved I think what helped me to understand was uh, some parent to child analogies and when my son Jacob who's now 15 when he was really little he had a lot of colds and ear infections and the doctors advised us to put tubes in his ears to allow um, the fluid to come out of his ears to get out there because the fluid was collecting his ears which was causing these continued ear infections but the procedure to, to the parents was a little scary because you never want your child to go in, even a, even a mild surgery. And it was scary to him as well. I don't remember how old Jacob was, but he was very little at the time. But we were the parents, and we knew what was best for our son, so we had the doctor do the procedure. And I still remember, you know, giving Jacob a hug, Claire and I, and leaving the room with him screaming, Like, why are you leaving me here with these strangers? And yet, 
we knew what was best, even though Jacob didn't know what was best for him at the time. And despite a little pain, his ear infections diminished and stopped. And in a similar way, God can use um, pain in our lives. He allows certain things to happen. Sometimes um, he uses those things that are painful in our lives that we can't see the mystery to bring us closer to him and to bring us healing in our lives. So if God knows the big picture and God is all powerful and God has called us to him, he's predestined us to be conformed to his likeness, do we play a part at all? Do we have any choice? Well, a few minutes ago, we read Romans 10, verses um, 8 through 10. And this is a passage that I used in, uh, before Josh was here with our high school students, before Chris Mallott, I got to spend a lot of time with our high school kids. And this was a passage that I used a lot with our high schoolers because I think it's so direct and so good telling us what our part is. Here's what it says. If you, meaning all of us, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So what's our part? We confess with our mouth. It's a public witness. We believe in our heart. It's active trust. It's not just intellectual. And what happens? We are saved. So we must take action. We must make a deliberate um, public affirmation of our faith. We need to tell people at some point, if not at many points along our life, we believe in Jesus. Um, I know a lot of you are members of this church, and I know some of you aren't. That's okay, but we want to invite all of you to become members of ZPC. We're looking forward to having a new members class sometime this fall. But the first question, if you become a member of this church, the first question you will be asked here in front of the church is this. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, and are you trusting him alone in your relationship with God? If you've joined ZPC, you've answered that question, yes. You've made a choice to stand up in front of the church and to say yes to that question. That was active faith. That was deliberate public witness that you took. But you can't just stop there. You also have to believe in your heart. The Bible says, I believe it's in the Gospels, that even demons believe in Jesus and shudder. But we must believe and follow him because the demons don't follow him. They believe who Jesus is. There's a passage there that says that. But we must believe and follow him. And it's not just intellectual belief. It's both heart and head belief with how we believe. And then we live that out through our daily actions and choices. So if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart, God raised them from the dead, those choices by us, what happens? You will be saved. And that is the good news of the gospel. And that's our part to play. So if we looked at the fact that really it's God who predestines us, who calls us to him, we play a part. Once he regenerates our hearts and gives us new life, then we respond in faith. So what are we now supposed to do? Well, we, most of us know the famous passage in Jeremiah 29. And, uh, you know, from working with youth and working with some of the, uh, you as adults, we hear oftentimes, I'll hear people say, you know, this is my life verse 
or this is my favorite verse, which says that um, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But what about its context? In context, the people there are in a very difficult spot. God gives them promises to prosper them and to give them hope. And then we have a job to do to respond to that. This passage in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah is a prophet. And he's speaking to the people as they are in exile in Babylon, the the people of Israel. And this is around 600 B.C. And they were in exile for a period of about 70 years. It's the time of Daniel and the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you know those stories. But even those are great Bible stories. This would be a terrible place to be. You know, they're under the rule of a foreign power. They are asked to worship strange gods that they don't know. It would be a terrible place to be. And in the midst of that very difficult trial, God gives them a promise. He gives them promise. And so in the midst of our own trials... God's promises are for us as well, that he plans to give us a hope and a future, and he plans to give us good things. But believing in God's promises, what are we to do? Well, if we said we had no free will at all, we, said we, would, we would say we would be robots. We would be forced to act in certain ways, and yet we're not. God calls us to respond to him in love. If times are tough for you like they were for the exile in in Babylon or times are good for you, we know that God has a future for you and we know that we can respond to him and we must choose to seek God. For us, it's a mystery, but for God, it makes sense. You know, um, God is greater uh, than time. God exists outside of time. God created time. And so the things in our lives that we don't understand when we're going through difficult times or we don't fully understand this whole predestination thing, we can trust that God has it under control and yet we are still called to respond to him and to be with him. It says in Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. So this is the reason we don't just stop at Jeremiah 29, 11 and say, God has good plans for me. Is what it says in 12 and 13. You will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. This is God speaking to us. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Sounds a lot like the greatest commandment. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's very active. That's our free will. That's our choice. We have to choose to follow God and seek him with all of our hearts. So what do we need to do? We need to call on God, call out to God. We need to come to God. We need to find ways to find God. We need to seek God with all our heart. And God says when we do, we will find him and he will listen to our prayers. What great promises those are from God. So despite some of the mystery, we see that God is working around us. And you know, you too can look around the people around you that you know that are followers of Jesus Christ and you see that God is at work in their lives as well. There is some mystery, but we have a God who knows the future and God has a great plan for us. And we will see the fullness of that plan if we follow along with him. I think the reason uh, I asked us to include this song called uh, You're Already There 
by casting crowns at the time of the offering was because I've, that song's been really meaningful to me. And I think the lyrics of that song uh, help us give some understanding to this whole idea of how God calls us and the idea of free will and the mystery of, of God's plan. So in some of those song lyrics, it said this. From where you're standing, as we're speaking to God, from where you're standing, Lord, you see a grand design that you imagined. When you breathed me into life and all the chaos comes together in your hands like a masterpiece of your picture-perfect plan. When I'm lost in the mystery, to you, my future is a memory because you're already there. You're standing at the end of my life, waiting on the other side. One day, I'll stand before you and I'll look back on the life that I've lived and I can't wait to enjoy the view to see how all the pieces fit. We can trust that God is in control, that he calls us to him by his grace and in his power so that we might act and respond to him and to live a life which follows him with his help to the best of our ability. Let's pray. Most loving God, we thank you for this time to come together, God. What a a good morning it is to come in. We pray together. We sing songs of worship together. We sing that you are holy, 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 and how great thou art. God, we sing those songs. Lord, some of them out of memory, but we sing them out of praise because you are worthy of our praise. And God, in your holiness, in your perfection, we know that you are all loving, all knowing, and all powerful. And, some, and sometimes, God, there are some mysteries in life that we can't fully understand. But God, we can trust out of what we've read today in your word that you are calling us to you, that you've predestined us to follow you. And yet you still give us the choice to live out our daily lives, the choices that we have every day. So God, as we go from this place, help us to remember that you are holy, 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 that you are loving. And in that love, help us to respond and to live out the choices that you have for us to choose well and to live lives following you. Help us to go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.